loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking about gay movies. We're talking about horror movies. We're talking about musicals? Question mark. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. We're talking about stage fright. Yeah! Oh my god, that was great. Uh, <laughs> listeners, lest you think we're talking about the really good 1987 slasher stage fright, that is one oh god, word. No. no, we're talking about the shitty 2014 musical stage fright, which is two words. And... Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Why did we pick this? Why did we do this to ourselves? Honestly, I saw this when it came out because I was so excited. I mean, I love musicals. I love slasher movies. It's mm-hmm. This should have been a slam dunk. match made in heaven. It is. This should have been a slam dunk. Even if this movie was bad, which it is, I should have liked it. <laughs> and I don't like this movie. And so when I picked it, um, it it's actually celebrating its five-year anniversary uh, the week this episode drops. So I was like, you yeah! know what? <laughs> Did you know going into this that you were going to be doing that? I swear, I'm only going to do it about three or four more times. No, I love it. Keep doing it. It's fine. (laughs) I don't hate it. So I thought maybe, maybe, just maybe, five years of time away from this movie and away from my high expectations for it, because I did have high expectations for it, would have made me kind of appreciate this movie more. And it didn't. No, not at all. Not really. There... Well, we'll get into it. All right. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. So, stage fright, uh, listeners, in case you don't know what this movie is, it is a slasher musical set at a theater camp. Every single review I read for it, because uh, I looked at a little bit of research today, uh, there was a commentary on the Blu-ray, but I refused to watch it because I couldn't sit through it again. <laughs> Every single review compared it to Glee meets Friday the 13th. Ew, no, that is not correct. But here's the thing. Every single review said that i mean that exact comparison that's very 2014 right it is and i i want to say that might be the year glee went off the air so it, it's probably like i don't know it's probably around that time glee sucks by the way for you thank you glee sucks uh, after the first 13 episodes so anyway that's not untrue this it movie went off the air in 2015 Okay, cool. Yeah, so so Glee is still on during. So this movie actually premiered at South by in March of 2014, but it didn't get released until May 9th of 2014. It got a very limited theatrical release um, about a week or two after its VOD release. Yeah, this movie was made for video. It was never going to do well with a mass audience. I did do a little bit of um like digging on like interviews with the director um because apparently he did go around and pitch it to studios and a lot of them loved the idea, but then when it came down to oh you want us to give money to this idea they didn't want to do it funny how you need money to make a movie so weird and i this is without having seen the movie obviously they're just going off the idea because i think the concept of this movie is fantastic the execution is terrible but yeah obviously like no studio is going to release like a campy slasher musical it's just it doesn't play in theaters at all so i get that anyway so it was released by magnolia pictures in the u.s and entertainment one in canada or e1 if you're going with the lingo Okay, I've never heard of them, so good for you, Canadian. They're still around. A mercifully brief 88 minutes long. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus, thank goodness. Um, But it feels longer. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. <laughs> I don't know how much the budget was. I couldn't find that information, but I imagine it's pretty probably low. Probably pretty low. It's a Canadian film, so it would probably be no more than a couple million bucks. Yeah. It only opened in 11 theaters, so the opening weekend was actually $3,562 at number 83. The total domestic gross was $7,078. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's the friends and the family of all the cast and no one else. Yeah. I mean, but granted, I mean, I'm sure people bought this. I mean, fucking, I paid to get this on VOD back in 2014. My money gone. And I fucking own this Blu-ray now because I bought it for this podcast. And Double sucker. I have paid for this movie twice. So, director Jerome Sable, or I'm sorry, writer, director, composer Jerome Sable, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. You're probably paying for that golden toilet now. Yeah, exactly. I, But, you know, I, if I don't think he'll listen to this episode. But if you, you do, never know. I'm really sorry. We're going to trash your movie. I'm going to say one or two good things. No, I, I have a couple good things. I totally do. Um, this movie for me was a two out of five. So there are two stars worth of things that I can talk about with this movie. Yeah! <laughs> Luckily, we are not alone in our opinion, though. You're looking at a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. Which is a little better than I thought, to be honest. Yeah, it's about right. I actually have things to say about some of the critic reviews because, well, I'll just say it right now. So my Blu-ray has... Three quotes on it. One on the cover, which, oh, um, Across Between Glee and Sleepaway Camp. Stage fright is frequently creepy and quite gory. That's from Fearnet. This movie is never creepy. It's never creepy. It is gory. That was one of my pluses. Yeah, no, the gore is great, um, even though it's relegated to the first scene and then like a 10-minute stretch in the third act. Mm -hmm. Then we have, from We Got This Covered, a face-melting horror musical ripe with infectious energy and deadly sing-alongs. This is Matt Donato. And I, <laughs> oh, you're going to call him out. I love it. I know this person, Matt, if you're listening, because I actually told him today that we were recording a movie about this and I was going to trash his review. <laughs> you're like, bitch, we're going to drag you. Because I can't believe he likes this movie. It's a huge piece of shit. And he gave it an eight out of, I'm sorry, a four out of five on We Got This Covered. And he loves this movie, but it was a South by watch. So I'm wondering if he was drunk. And I love that we're doing this because I know if he's listening to this, he can't. Talk back to us. He actually said he wanted to guess, and I told him no. <laughs> We're like, sorry, we don't allow straight people on this podcast unless they have no. parts. <laughs> it's like we discriminate. So the other review uh, is mixes bloodshed and Broadway and deliciously adds hilarity. That is the Austin Chronicle, which is my day job. <laughs> wow, there are so many Kevin Bacon connective points to you in this movie. Maybe you should like this movie. I know. This is Richard Whitaker, who is actually one of my coworkers uh, and a friend. So two of my friends have two of the three reviews on the Blu-ray for this movie. <laughs> and wow. it's so bad. But anyway, your opinions aren't wrong. The opinions are opinions. But this movie's not good and y'all are wrong. So <laughs> yeah, Metacritic, you're looking at a 39 out of 100 and a for critics and a... Oh, a user score on Metacritic of 8.3 out of 10. What? 8.3 out of 10. See, and this is why we can't trust data. It's Climate change isn't real, people. You just can't trust the figures. I don't know what it was. And, okay, I realize that we are coming off as huge negative Nancy douchebags here. Listeners. Um, hello, that's my bread and butter. I want to like this movie. I wanted to like this movie. I, I picked this movie hoping that I would like it. We're not going to trash this movie the whole time. As Joe said, we have positive things to say. So before we get to the plot, um, we have writer, director, composer, Jerome Sable, who did all of this. This is his debut feature. He did have a short uh, musical comedy film called The Legend of Beaver Dam, which I actually haven't seen, but um, apparently it's pretty good. I watched it. It's funny. Really? Did you watch it in preparation for this? Yeah. Oh, 
So it's better than this movie. Well, part of the reason that it works is because it's a short, so it's brief. Like, it's a one-song campfire tale about a kid who's essentially bullied by the camp leader, and then he has, like, a big musical number where he's fending off a, a monster who attacks the group. And then at the end of the short spoiler, it's revealed that he actually was the monster and he has killed the camp counselor. Huh. That's funny. It's cute. It's, like, five minutes. Well, so, okay. This is the thing that I noticed with uh, short film creators is that when tasked with making a feature length film it proves to be problematic for them which is to me the film's biggest issue is that it feels like it should have been a short or maybe some kind of like 20 to 30 minute thing and when you stretch it out to that 80 minute runtime it just doesn't work no because there is a good horror musical to be made out of this the problem is the songs aren't good the scares aren't good and it's not funny yeah <laughs> So, anyway. Zero for three. Zero for three. Uh, they know Repo the Genetic Opera. Which isn't a good movie, but the songs are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the songs are good. I'm sorry. I realize that's a contentious point because some people hate the music, but I actually really do like the soundtrack for that movie. For Repo. For Repo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was no, like... Not, <laughs> not for this piece of shit. Not, not for this movie. Okay. Sorry. Continue on. He co-wrote the music with um, Eli Battalion, which I kind of love the name. But also for him, this was his kind of first feature. I think he might have worked on Beaver Dam with Jerome. Yeah, I got the impression that they were frequent collaborators over yes. two projects, which maybe isn't frequent, but I'll go with it. Yeah, sure. Put it on the DVD cover. I'll stand by it. They haven't really done anything since, though. Jerome said, I think he's done some TV since this, but he has not done another movie. Shocker. Oh, my God. I'm so, I'm being so rude today. This is, It's the wine, wow. I swear. How <laughs> many glasses deep are we? I'm on my third glass, so, but it's a tiny glass, so we're good. Mm-hmm. Pinky size. Yeah. Yeah, pinky size. So before we get to the cast, I just want to point out there are three editors on this movie. So two were fired and one stuck it out? I don't know. Why does this movie need three editors? It's 88 minutes. I mean, that to me is one of those, like, is this something that we need to flag? Like, is this a problem? Did something go on? Is that why? Well, I mean, the editing isn't bad in this movie. I just think it's really weird. Like, Because I also think about that. Like, So I've edited before. I mean, I edit our audio and I have edited video before. I'm always interested. I'm sorry. Did you pause for like applause or something there? Like, oh, wow. No, no, no. Okay. I was thinking. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about a multi-talented bit. Yes. I can edit audio and video. I'm amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, uh, amazing. Oh, Jesus. I was waiting to see if you were going to break out some karaoke for this episode. <laughs> so, no, no, no. But like, how do three people edit something? I'm actually always. So the writing I get, you're sitting in a room, you're collaborating, you're writing. Directing, okay, fine. Composing music, great. But editing, that requires a very precise hand. And for three people to do it together, I think is very odd. That the movie isn't a jumbled mess of editing is kind of a miracle, considering three people were involved in it. Well, I'm not sure that I would assume they were all doing the same parts of the movie at the same time. They might have each taken sections, question mark. But see, that's weird to me, too, though, because then... Unless, I mean, maybe they're all just, like, the same style of editing, but then it would feel like, if let's say each one got one act of the movie, then it almost would be like each act would be, like, paced differently. I don't know. I mean, I was trying to rationalize it in my mind, and I came up with nothing. I was like, maybe one of them did the musical numbers, one of them did the kills, and then one of them did the boring parts. You know what? You might be right. I'm going to go with that. That's actually not a bad idea. Sure. We'll go with it. Okay. Jerome, let us know when you listen to this. Oh my god, he's gonna hate us. The cast for this movie is not 
fantastic. I mean, well, I mean, so I don't. The lead Camilla is Ally McDonald. I don't. I, I've never seen her in anything, but she is in that Jennifer Lawrence movie, House at the End of the Street, and this um, Stephen Moyer from True Blood movie, The Barons. Ooh. I know, real big name there. But her brother Buddy is played by Douglas Smith, who I mm. love in the. He's H- been in a ton of shit. He has, and he always looks like he's cracked out to me. Like his eyes always look cracked out. But I actually do yes. like him a lot. <laughs> um, he was. Sorry, you said he was in some stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was in. And the HBO series Big Love, which um, if you've never seen it, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And he was on that before he made this. So I feel like he was the get for this movie. Yes. Well, well, okay. So yeah, he, he was because he was um, Amanda Seyfried's brother on Big Love and the daughter of June Triplehorn and obviously Bill Paxton because he's the dad in the polygamous show. Oh, also, can we pronounce uh, her name correctly? It's Siegfried. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Seyfried. <laughs> um... <laughs> Call back to Geneva's body. Uh, he was also, for horror fans, in the movie Ouija and The Bye Bye Man. So with this, he is 0 for 3 with horror movies. I was going to say, those are <laughs> not great credits. <laughs> uh, but you can see him currently on TNT's The Alienist with Dakota Fanning. And it's solid, if unremarkable. I had it on my watch list, but I never got around to it. It's an easy watch. I think it's like 8 episodes, maybe 10. Um, it's interesting, but it, it could have cut 2 episodes. I'll read the book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and honestly, the only other big names in this, uh, you've got Meatloaf a Day, uh, mm-hmm. who, I mean, honestly, okay, I'm not good with music. I only know him from Rocky Horror. Well, I mean, he did Bad Out of Hell, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, but I, I, I do <laughs> I do know the um, I Could Do Anything for Love song. That one I know. There you go. Yeah. I feel like most people are going to know that. That yeah. Rocky Horror. It's good picks. But speaking of Bad Out of Hell, that actually makes a lot of sense because the review for Stage Fright on RogerEber.com is lyrics and it says, read this to the tune of Bad Out of Hell. There you go. So. It's very much a rock opera as well. And the main reason that I wanted to watch this movie, besides the fact that it was a slasher musical, uh, Minnie Driver, who I love in every single thing she does. I think she's lovely. Yeah, gay. I know. Well, my mom actually hates her, and I think that might be why I like her a lot. But uh, my mom has like a trio of actresses that she hates, and it's Minnie Driver and Jennifer Jason Lee and Juliette Lewis because she thinks they're all trash. And those are her words. Okay, I can maybe understand the Juliette Lewis, because right? Juliette Lewis has played a bunch of trashy characters. I know. The other two I don't get. At I all. know. The mini driver one I really don't get. Juliet, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, maybe because she plays like kind of crazy characters, but Mini mm-hmm. Driver, like I'm like, I want to be like, Mom, what movie did you see her in that you just immediately associate her with that? I love Mini Driver though. I think she's great. I even like that shitty ass romantic comedy she made with David Duchovny called Return to Me. Oh god, no. No, it's the so good. One? Yes, the heart one. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm gonna say no to that. Oh, God, we're back to your dumb romantic comedy. <laughs> His wife dies and she donates her heart to Minnie Driver who needs a heart transplant. And he falls in love with her like a year later. He doesn't even love these women. He loves their heart. Exactly. That's the. That's why it's so beautiful. That's stage fright. I don't know. Fuck, fuck this movie. So, Joe, <laughs> what's it about? <laughs> All right. Here is your plot recap. Broadway diva Kylie Swanson, a.k.a. Minnie Driver, is brutally murdered on the opening night of The Haunting of the Opera. If you find that funny, this movie is for you. Ten years later, her twin children, Camilla, who is Allie McDonald, and Buddy, who is Douglas Smith, are working as cooks in their guardian, Roger McCall, 
Meatloaf. They're working in his floundering musical theater summer camp, Limelight. Roger decides to put on a kabuki revival of The Haunting of the Opera in order to attract the attention of Broadway agent Victor Brady, who's played by James McGowan, who I recognize from a bunch of Canadian shit. Okay, I have no idea who that is. (laughs) Yeah. And Camilla decides to follow in her dead mother's footsteps by auditioning for the lead. I feel like I, when I do these, I read it in Brennan's voice from Scream 101. But anyway, um, Maybe. much to the chagrin of both her brother and her love interest, Joel, Kent Nolan, Camille co-lands the lead with uppity bitch Liz Silver. Melanie Leishman? I don't know, okay. but I liked her. Yeah, she's fun. Uh, sleazy director Artie, Brandon Uranitz, confides in Camilla that he will let her open the show as she sleeps with him, but she can't go through with it. Because she's a goody two-shoes. That night, Artie is murdered by the opera ghost, but his death is covered up by Roger, and the show continues. As opening night approaches, more and more campers are murdered, including Whitney, Sam, and Sheila, who I literally can't remember. Liz is bound up, and stage manager Davis, Thomas Alderson, is made to fill in the gap in the production as Camilla runs around discovering bodies. Eventually, the killer is revealed to be Buddy, her twin brother who saw Roger murder their mother 10 years earlier. Camilla distracts Buddy, but in the process, he's killed by Roger, who then pursues Camilla until she inadvertently kills him with a bandsaw. She stumbles onto stage, covered in blood, to thunderous applause from the audience who believe it is all part of the performance. Cut to Camilla debuting the role on Broadway, but she's still haunted by memories of the killer. And curtains. I hate the ending of this movie. This movie. Ugh. All right. Well, let's start with the good, because honestly, the opening scene of this movie is legitimately good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. And it, it's the haunting of the. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where's Mel Brooks? It's the haunting of the opera is fine. There's actually a, a lot of. So were you a theater kid in high school or any any point in your life? I was a drama kid, but I wasn't a super musical theater kid. My school didn't have the money to put on musicals. We could only do plays. Okay, so we did five plays a year. Um, sorry, six. One of which was a musical in high school. Yeah, because those things are fucking expensive. They are. Uh, but I, I'm not a. I don't want to say musical theater junkie, but I do enjoy going to see musicals. I mean, I, I'm a little <laughs> bit um, discerning. Like, honestly, I've never seen Oklahoma, and I, if it ever came to Austin, I don't think I'd see it. And I know that's like probably Aww, blasphemous. I love Oklahoma. I know. And Crazy Ex Girlfriend actually spoofed a segment of that this year so oh my god why didn't we just watch crazy ex-girlfriend instead of this? i know <laughs> well all right so no look, this movie thinks it's very funny and it's not no sadly not the humor is far too obvious and very on the nose and that's the thing and obviously humor subjective some people find this movie funny and that's i'm a little jealous of them i wish that i found a lot of this funny i did chuckle a couple times like um there were and uh, on those musical theater in jokes, like there was, um, mm-hmm. there were posters for <laughs> Les Producerables, which I thought was really funny, and oh, an Alabama exclamation point, um, you know, like Oklahoma. No, I don't get it. Explain it to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, that that that's about like the two times that I chuckled, and those were both in the same scene during Meatloaf's awful um, song. Oh God, that is okay. Yeah, I I feel like the film opens with a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. for me i got a bunch of enjoyment out of the opening as well as the like the campers were here song which also has a very humorous like refrain about gay kids and musicals which i was like again on the nose but it 
kind of worked for me. No, that's actually funny. So, like, I mean, I didn't remember a lot of this movie um, when I rewatched it, except for the brother being the killer and mm-hmm. the gay joke in that opening number, uh, which I really, yeah, I still thought it was pretty funny because there's the one kid that is gay and the other kid that is gay but is trying to pass for straight. And um, his line is like, um, he's like, I'm gay, I'm gay, but not in that way. And then the yeah. other one's like, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm actually gay. <laughs> uh, yes. I still think it's funny. It is. It's, and it's the kind of musical number that would traditionally be found at that point in a production where it's like it's it's the big group number that kind of opens everything so i mean as much as we're going to shit on Jerome Sable in this podcast i do feel like he actually knows his shit like mm-hmm. he he knows a bunch about musical theater and he knows a bunch of different types of songs and where they should go as you said, though, it's the execution of most of these that don't work. But I feel like these opening ones are where he feels most comfortable and it's where he succeeds the best. Well, that, that that's honestly what is upsetting to me is, I mean, he clearly has a passion for both horror and musical. And that's what makes it all the more upsetting to me and what makes this movie more of a failure is that he clearly loves this and he clearly has a lot of influence and he like he's into it. But the problem is it just doesn't work so Mm -hmm. before this big opening number obviously we have your opening scene fake out where you know someone gets stabbed oh oops it's actually part of the haunting of the opera which Mm -hmm. Minnie driver's character is in and oh she she, (laughs) i actually love it though because i did laugh because she has that part where um she gets stabbed and the camera focuses on her and she's like ah and then she just goes no (laughs) (laughs) and bursts into song (laughs) Which is great. I mean, it's a it's really fun, and that is what the rest of the movie is lacking: is that fun that you have in this first scene. Yeah, and I feel like part of the in joke is that you're looking at it and you're like, "Oh God, this is just such a terrible ripoff of the Phantom of the Opera," and the film knows it, and that's the other part that definitely works for me is those kind of cheeky knowing winks. It doesn't work later on when the more obvious references to horror start to come out, but mm-hmm. particularly in this piece and then that opening scene where Minnie Driver is getting changed in her dressing room and the, the opera ghost comes up and starts caressing her uncomfortably naked body because you look like my mom and I don't want to look at you in your bra and panties. <laughs> but then we get our first big kill. Which where... is a great kill. She, Her kill yeah. is awesome awesome yeah uh people who don't do well with gore or with mouth stuff will not enjoy this opening kill because it is surprisingly brutal she gets a knife a couple of times to the stomach and then she gets it in oh is it the neck yeah it's in the neck i think it's the neck it's in yes it's in the neck i apologize and then it's in the mouth and then her face just goes headfirst into the mirror Mm mm-hmm and this to me was like, oh, okay, whichever one of you three editors did this sequence, pretty good, <laughs> because it uh, it's effective. And that that knife to the mouth is brutal. To which you're like, oh my god, this is going to be good. Like, this movie's going to be good. I also just and wanted to not. mention that this movie does open with a quote. <laughs> it opens with... This. The following is based on true events. While the names have cha- have been changed to respect the victims and their families, the musical numbers will be performed exactly as they occurred. I laughed. That's a great opening. 
<laughs> and and then you have the really gay stage manager who's talking to the kids and he's like, look at your mother. She's got great pipes and she's fierce. It's yeah. so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but you know, yeah, her death is brutal. And it's great. Unfortunately, it is the last time we see Minnie Driver in this entire movie. Which is shocking to me. You know why they cast her, right? Because she's got pipes and she's fierce. <laughs> well, no, because she was in the movie version of The Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I don't talk about that. Because she's Carlotta and it's great. It was a great little in-joke, I thought. But yeah, so that's when the movie stops being good. <laughs> I disagree. Okay, so we cut 10 years later and we have this opening number. Oh, you know what? You're right. I apologize. The opening number is really fun. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's performed by children, so your tolerance may vary, but it's got a lot of witty little things about how kids who like musical theater are often picked upon and they're bullied, but this is a place of acceptance, and there's that cheeky knowing wink to being gay. But it's also doing that, you know, slightly heavy lifting of saying like, okay, here are your annoying main characters, and it's getting that shit out of the way via song, as musicals do. Well, so... Speaking of annoying main characters, so do you like Camilla? If you say Camilla, no. No, but, obviously no. See, Who could like Camilla? That's that's my She's thing. She's the worst. She's so boring. I think... Okay. I'm not one to judge singing ability. Um, okay. I was like, uh, let's put that into context because... No, 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 no. Yeah, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I do judge. But I'm not one to judge singing ability because I, I'm, I don't have the best ear for music or like what sounds good or not. I mean, I fully admit that. Is she that great of a singer? Uh, she's okay. I, I will confess, as much as I don't like all the songs, I do find the song that she and Liz sing, where it's cutting... How do we even describe this? It's... They're, they're overlaid with each other on stage where they're doing that, You were all ever wanted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Please yeah. note that I dropped my voice an octave for that. Wait, are so you are I you a tenor or a bass? Uh, I'm I'm verse. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> Wait, so do, do do you do karaoke? Do you sing? No, fuck no. I Wait, do, really? Do you listen? Can you not hear my voice? No, you I want to imagine this nasal rasp trying to do some TLC song oh up God. in that karaoke. Joint. Okay, no, no, I no, really no. need you to come to Austin. I'll take you to karaoke. There's private rooms. You don't have to sing in front of anyone except for me and Andrew. It'll be fun. Um, <laughs> my, no, oh my God, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> my no, no, no. Oh my God, no, because karaoke is how Andrew and I met. And no, my go-to karaoke song is "Scars." Be prepared, but I actually have a playlist on my phone of um, all karaoke songs. So whenever I go to a karaoke place, I have a list of songs ready to go. So I'm like, okay, I need to look for these songs i'm not just like fucking looking through their karaoke book um, that is hardcore i feel like true karaoke people have like their songs prepped and ready to go yes Whereas people like me who are like i don't want to be dragged to karaoke are like uh i'll do an adam sandler version of i touch myself by oh, the vinyls fuck that okay so camilla <laughs> yeah so she's dull uh so is her brother buddy um which again i mean the biggest problem with buddy is that he's not in this he's not a character well that's my thing so i remembered him being in the movie a lot more and he's barely in this movie until he's revealed to be the killer buddy is not in this movie and he therefore does not make an interesting reveal it's so bad it's a really dull also doesn't make a lot of my question so all right the whole thing of this movie is that the mom mini driver was in a relationship with meatloaf who is the owner mm -hmm. of the camp 
Uh, which, by the way, the camp is called Center Stage Camp for the Performing Arts. And it just makes me think of that movie Center Stage, which we had just talked about in our Black Swan article. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that's my whole point. Okay. I'll allow it. So, so she's sleeping with him, but she's having an affair... With someone we don't know. I think it's supposed to be a stagehand. I thought it was a film I thought it was a film critic. Oh. Would it be the guy that Meatloaf then invites later? No, as... I don't I don't think that's the case. But because Because <laughs> that would actually make sense. No, because remember because in the in the flashback to the big like, you know, oh, this is what actually happened. When he's like, Oh, like this person showing up, he said you were like ravishing or like wonderful or something. And she's like, Oh yay, I'm famous. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, so basically though th- then Meatloaf kills Minnie Driver wearing the opera ghost mask. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, the haunting of the opera ghost mask. <laughs> no, I think they just call him opera ghost. Sure. But Buddy is in the closet watching him. And he spends 10 years trying to get revenge on him. And when Camilla's like, why didn't you do this sooner? He's like, because I was scared because Meatloaf did confront him as a kid. Mm-hmm. And threatened him. Which, cut that shit out and just be like, oh, it was repressed memories. And it wasn't until I saw that he was mounting a reproduction of the haunting of the opera. Or I saw that you were taking mom's place and it, you know, did something to my boy parts. Like, and then I went all homicidal. Because that's what the shit has always done in like 80s and 70s movies. Well, and then he's dispatched too easily. And then you have Meatloaf as like the big bad. And it doesn't make any fucking... I mean, it makes sense, I guess. But it's not like narratively satisfying. No. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I was like, as soon as Meatloaf becomes a weird impromptu killer and just starts chasing her, I was like, oh my god, what? Why? No. I mean, yeah, it does make sense, but it's not good. It's so... The whole movie is just so painfully, like, it's trying so hard, and it thinks it's good. And I think that's why I knock it so many points, is because it, it is a movie that feels self-congratulatory. And maybe maybe that's not the intention. Maybe that's not what these people thought when they were making it. But that's absolutely how it comes across. And it's very frustrating to watch as a viewer when you're watching something that isn't particularly smart. Yeah, is it the horror stuff that rubs you the wrong way, or is it the comedy stuff, or both? You know, I would say mostly it's the comedy stuff. I think I'm not. I was not walking into this movie expecting scary, like at all. I mean, when you say comedy musical, I'm expecting a horror comedy. So it doesn't need to be scary to be successful, in my opinion. And like we mentioned earlier, the gore is effective. There are some great kills in this movie. You know, you've got. Mini Driver's death. You've got the oh the C clamp on the foot is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually really enjoy that entire kill scene. So that's when Artie, the director, gets uh, caught on stage after being brutally rebuffed by Camilla, and he's like, "All right, fine, whatever." And then lights start falling, which reminds me a little bit of Drop Dead Gorgeous. So mm-hmm. I like that. No, absolutely. Um, and then. Yeah, he gets that clamp in the foot, and that prosthetic work is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Some good practical stuff going on there. Uh, his foot gets pulled off, which is fake as fuck, but sure, I'll still go with it. I think it looks good. And then he fillets a light bulb, which is, you know, for a guy like Artie, well-deserved. Okay, so wait, before we continue with these kills, what do you think about, like, this whole subplot with the director? So, 
I feel like the movie's trying to make a statement, you know, of like, oh, like, I mean, again, we just watched Black Swan with teachers or directors sexually abusing their actors, actresses in the movie, or in the play, mm-hmm. production, whatever you want to do. But I don't, it, it, I don't know the right word to use for it, but it just doesn't, it didn't ring very true to me. I think my problem was, is I had difficulty discerning how the people who were in charge got their roles. So I thought that Artie was another camper and mm-hmm. I didn't really understand why he had so much power. And it wasn't until much later that I realized that he's, I think, meant to be some kind of alumni or that he's actually a counselor. But it's really unclear. And then the same can be said for the stage manager, uh, David. But I think he actually is just a camper because we see him in that opening dance number. And he seems to be on par with, uh, I think the guy's name is Roger, the other guy. I don't know his name. He ends up kissing. But yes. Oh, and then... No, Sam, sorry. After they kiss, Sam immediately dies. Yes, of course. Do you think the director's gay? Uh, If he's not, he's definitely spent his life around musical theater gays. But I wouldn't be surprised to learn that he was. I will give this movie points for being inclusive um, with gay men. However... There's a discerning thing where every time anyone gets into a remotely homosexual style encounter, they are killed. And uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. So the stage manager, David, is so stereotypically effeminate. He's gay. He's gay. Yes. He's totally gay. And I'm loath to say that because obviously there are gay men that are that effeminate i also have tendencies like that i'm super effeminate but it verges on caricature it, it yeah. does it, it, it has it toes that line not um, i don't think it fully crosses over into character to where i'm offended by it especially because he kind of gets a fun little moment at the end of the movie yeah i mean the whole sequence where he saves the show and he and liz are having that weird awkward dance and that kind of stuff like it's a good comedy bit i i did laugh i thought that was really funny and they're, like, trying to shove each other out of the spotlight and, like, take over the stage. I, yeah, because they're both diva bitches. Yes. I, I really... Honestly, you make a movie... You make them the protagonist in this movie, I'm probably more likely to give it a 3 out of 5. Yeah, I think the comedy would have worked because they're both quite broad. It's tricky, though, right? Like, you're always going to end up with your Blando Camillas as your lead. Mm-hmm. You know, no no offense to Ally McDonald. She's working with what she's got. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You've, you've always got to have your straight-laced main character. You need your Sidney Prescott. But um, that's the thing, though. So C- Camilla and, and Buddy are just so boring. And yeah. it's not they're, – they're not interesting to watch. It, wa- watching Camilla, it's just like – I didn't care. And I was also confused as to how Roger was their guardian. Yeah, it's like, why (laughs) is your mom's lover suddenly get to take you on as, like, foster children? I mean, not a big deal. Again, in a movie like this, which is clearly, like, heightened reality and, like, super, you know, ridiculous, not, not, logic isn't important. But I did ask myself that question, like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why mm-hmm. and and you get a lot of wet hot american summer vibes from this because they're also the cooks at the camp yes so i was half expecting a can of vegetables to start talking to them but uh, better movie better movie and tv show but yeah it's it really sucks that we don't have a, a stronger character to latch on to in this movie 
Yeah, because Camilla's arc is very much like I idolize my mother. I want to follow in her footsteps. I've got this supposedly great singing talent. But the problem is, is that her conflicts with Artie, to circle back around to the, yeah. you know, oh, the yeah. use of sexual intimidation and so on, that is a little bit dull and it kind of feels unnecessary. Like it's just one additional piece that I don't know that we need because it comes to nothing. And like I'm I much would have rather spend time with her unofficial rivalry with Liz about, you know, like how can they sort of one up? Like it would have been fun to see Liz as a Chris from Carrie character. Mm-hmm. Well, um, which she does become because she literally hangs a bucket of red paint above the stage. Mm-hmm. Yes, because this film can't help itself except to make a bunch of really forced horror movie references as though to say look i watched these movies too so here's a person who dies from getting pins stuck in their head and it's hellraiser do you get it it doesn't bother me that much i mean it's oh drinking game there you go everybody yeah. oh because it doesn't bother me <laughs> it's me i'm trying to be positive so i'm not like <laughs> viewed as the douchebag on this episode that's like oh he hated that movie he's just trashing it he's hate watching it which oh my on- god why is he such a shit heel i know you, I don't know. I don't know why you think you coined the term shitheel because that co- that term existed before you said it. Oh yeah, no, I know that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I'm bringing it back into the popular lexicon. Y- yeah, we are taste purveyors now, Trace. And we're I- setting the new agenda. I'm going to bring aces back as well. And to touch on <laughs> the comedy for this movie, the the joke that stuck out st- stuck out stood out to me. That I was like, really, movie? This this is where we're going? Is when they say the kabuki, they're going to do kabuki. And the oh, one guy God, goes, yeah. bukaki. Yeah. Which is also a subtle cue that he's a gay. <laughs> yes. Um, listeners, by the way, bukaki is, uh, it's when you're in uh, orgy and... Urban Dictionary this up, yep. Yeah. And a bunch of men um, jack off and come on your face uh, at the same time. Or actually not at the same time necessarily. They could just, basically you just got come all over your face. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, elaborate a little bit more. What is it like? How does it feel? <laughs> I've never I've never been in a bukkake, but I've seen one. So <laughs> <laughs> on, on on my computer screen, not in real life. Uh Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, it's an obvious type of humor. Like that that's what I expect from like fucking watching a CBS like 30 minute laugh track sitcom. Yes. I much preferred the idea that they were so unaware of how offensive it might be to actually do the performance as a kabuki performance in white face or Asian face. I was, I was like, okay, that's actually kind of clever in an offensive way, which again is another way that the film could have differentiated itself is going with that kind of drop dead, gorgeous, offensive level humor. But it doesn't. Watching it, I was very much like, wondering is this offensive because these i mean it's it's a bunch of white kids <laughs> yeah like dressing appropriating up appropriating asian culture yes yeah. which I, I, it's a joke clearly i get that and it is funny and that that's kind of where you know like the, the line between offensive and humorous you know you're towing that i think the movie does it fine um because i think the movie is aware that it's super fucking offensive Oh, yeah. Like, the movie is aware, but the characters are not. So, what do you think about the killer? 
No, I'm not talking about Buddy. I'm not talking about Meatloaf. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the metal heavy upper ghost. Yeah. So That's the last time he says, yeah, he says this line. I'm sorry. He sings this line several times where he goes, oh, please sing it. Shut your fucking face. And I want it to be like, yeah. Uncle Fucker? Like, <laughs> also a better musical. Well, that's, it kept reminding me of better musicals. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't make me think of movies I'd rather be, I would rather be watching the South Park musical movie than this oh, movie God, right yeah. now. And mm-hmm. I don't even think he has a full song. No, they're kind of all refrains in a way, aren't they? Well, it's him and his little seller staring at headshots, yelling at them. Mm-hmm. Which, where is that? What what set is that? Where is that meant to be located? I think it's under the stage? Maybe. Yeah. I, I did love that all the kids had their own headshots, though, because I was like, oh, musical theater summer camp. Well, I was really <laughs> confused about how, if their performance was well, was, was good, then it was going to be on Broadway. Like, because this critic, like, gives it a good review and it's going to go on Broadway. I, I, I was very confused by that. Yeah, I got the impression that it would... Like, maybe it would help to reinvigorate interest in the production, and then maybe Roger would get profits, and that would save the camp? I don't know. Well, I, that's that's definitely a part of it, yeah, because the camp is going bankrupt, and he needs a good review for people to donate money to it. But there also yeah. seemed to be this thing where it's like, oh, if the review's good, then the show will go to Broadway. Right. And I was a little, again, not a big deal, not not the most pressing issue mm-hmm. <laughs> this say movie again. has. Say it again. Say, say, say the line. Say it doesn't it. bother me. There we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the big issue is like, this feels like another plot line where it's just like, but who could fucking care? Like, I don't care about Roger's need for financial solvency. I don't care whether this show becomes a hit again. Like... These are all just kind of weird little plot lines that just don't feel like they amount to anything. Because at the end of the day, I just need to know that Roger killed Minnie Driver and that he's going to try to kill Camilla to keep her quiet. Like, that's all I need to know. But that's the thing, though. So we're talking about things that we need to care about. The movie has a a, a tonal issue problem where it doesn't seem to know if it's a parody or Mm -hmm. a serious film because Camilla is treated very seriously and the actress uh, Ally McDonald plays her very seriously there's not a hint of irony or comedy in her performance and same with Buddy yes same with Buddy but then everyone else is in an entirely different movie Mm -hmm. and it's very jarring and it makes the comedy less funny And it makes the serious moments less effective. Which is why I do think that we are then drawn to a character like Liz, because if Liz had been the main character, she, I think, has a better tonal balance between she, she's got that rivalry, which you can believe in as a real grounded motivation for not getting along with Camilla. But then she's also patently ridiculous. And like imagining her as that lead character, I think would have made for a film that is able to do the comedy bits that it wants while still having wacky over the top and maybe hardcore kills. Yeah. And, oh, well, I, I guess we can just move on to the kills then because after... Yeah, let's come back to the good stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> after Artie gets the C-clamp and the light bulb blowjob, mm-hmm. then we basically... 
the narrative flashes through the rehearsals. It's like 30 days till opening night, 20 days till opening night, 10 days till opening night, one day till opening night, and then it's opening night. And this is like 15 minutes of montage. I did like how they how they basically cast the entire musical on the first day of camp. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, good thing these kids are all on their game. Like they don't need rehearsals, they don't need to practice. They're their musical instruments are ready to go on day one, and we can just cast this bitch, and then 30 days later, we're ready to do a whole production. <laughs> and I, I will admit to being very stressed out during the entirety of, like, the body discovery sequence, because the play stops. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, as, like, someone who's, like, done theater, I was like, oh my god, what are they gonna do? <laughs> I don't care about any of these dead kids, but I'm really worried about that production and how are they going to fill that time? I that was is, very she worried. Is gone, she is gone for like an hour. A like, very long time. <laughs> and, and and presumably the audience is watching Liz strapped in this phantom ghost, whatever, outfit for like 30 minutes as she's mm-hmm. tied up and just yeah. like stumbling around the falling st- around. <laughs> And, it ha- and the orchestra's playing that da da Yeah, it's great. And then clang on the cymbals. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so who who dies after fucking Artie? I think there's like three bodies that Camilla finds. Oh, yeah. So Sam. I've I've got the names and I can barely remember. Okay, so I don't remember. Which one is Whitney and which one is Sheila? But there's the annoying girl who's like, you can come in here and relax your vocal cords using the show. <laughs> which, okay, that that also to me was like, okay, we're going to make fun of theater kids and this is what you're going for is the warm-up joke, which every single joke about theater uses. Yeah, it's not particularly clever. It's super obvious. This is what the movie is trading in obvious bread and butter yeah i think that's sheila because whitney is the costume girl so she's the pinhead kill then yeah she's the pinhead kill which we don't even do we see her die i think we just find her corpse later yep just body discovery yeah but then it kind of becomes the thing is like why does he kill these people yeah it makes no sense i mean this is a slasher trope it's like why don't you just kill the person that you want to kill instead of killing all these innocent bystanders who are literally just trying to amount a show it feels like maybe the script was like oh well we haven't killed anybody in about 45 minutes uh get rid of these disposable idiots well no so okay the body con this movie you got mini driver in the opening scene you've got that Mm -hmm. douchebag director 45 minutes into this movie dying so that's a big gap and then three people in the span of 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then, of and course, then, Buddy and And then Lila. Roger. Yeah. 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 It's very oddly paced. And honestly, the, the most... <laughs> oddly this, is being kind. <laughs> the most this movie suffers is between that opening bus number and Artie's death. Is all of that. Those first 40 minutes are just like... You're all I really wanted. <laughs> No, there's there's that, and then that that song that the little, the young Camilla sings. All of life's a song to sing, so sing with all your heart. It's it's really upsetting. Um, I <laughs> not not in the way that you might expect. No, upsetting. Like, please don't make me watch this anymore. Oh, I'll talk about the music more in a bit because it's extremely forgettable. So you know, there's some great kills with. 
body discoveries and Camilla's running around backstage. And the thing is, mm-hmm. don't care because you no. don't care about Camilla. No. Like, she could have died and Liz could have been brought as the protagonist. And I would have been like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm into it. <laughs> like, I don't even know. Yeah. She's just such a forgettable character. The only thing that I liked about that entire tail end sequence, apart from, you know, yay, kills, because yeah. we're back into a horror movie. I liked that she got so dirty and disheveled and oh yeah seeing her makeup contrasted with buddies when the mask comes off i was like oh okay it kind of looks like he's in his own twisted performance of this musical so all right so she finds all these bodies and she leaves all the while liz is on stage tied up in an outfit and just i don't know apparently stumbling around for 30 minutes and yes and doing dances with david david yes and all right so th- there was one i know you that, can't remember any of these characters names <laughs> i don't care about these characters so no but there was one part though um so when he unmasks liz and he's <laughs> he's like you just had to be in the show didn't you well fine get out there <laughs> and get she, out there <laughs> she's just she's just out there and she's staring at the audience like her gags off or whatever and, and she starts kind of singing and he's like sing louder and he like throws something at her <laughs> it was yeah. so funny i mean so again i'm laughing and that's what i wanted to do more of in this movie and i didn't <laughs> Again, like having those two as our main characters would have been a hell of a lot more amusing than having like Camilla or having to deal with, you know, Sam's process of discovery and blah, whatever. So Camilla makes it to the kitchen, I think. And <laughs> and then you've got the killer. And it's yep. revealed to be Buddy and he's got Roger tied to a chair. It's so... I remember seeing this for the first time, and this was like five, almost five years ago. And man, I don't think I've seen a less underwhelming killer reveal in a long. I can't even think of one. Oh yeah, because you're basically at this point you're meant to be wondering whether it's going to be Joel or whether it's going to be Buddy. Wait, so Joel in case the uh, no, yeah, I was saying, in case people forgot, who's Joel? Because we have not talked about him at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh joel is her equally boring love interest who also works tech i couldn't even tell you what he looked like i mean he has black hair i think he has black mm-hmm. hair <laughs> yeah it's kind of like curly black hair but he also he looks kind of similar to buddy so when the mask comes off you're like wait which one of them is it oh it, he's six feet tall so it's buddy buddy's wearing like half black face when the mask comes off <laughs> Ooh. He is! We're, we're hitting all those racial... Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I know it's not intentional. Like, he's just wearing... It's because, obviously, when you're wearing the mask, you have to cover your mask. But he's literally, from his, like, upper lip down, it's black. He said he didn't want to be in the show, and yet, there he is, covered in makeup and wearing the costume. And yeah, he, he just, like, he just kind of yells, and he's like, I didn't want you to be in the show. I killed everyone. I've been trying to get revenge for ten fucking years. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. Yeah, like, he's... He's surprisingly ineffectual, considering he's at this point managed to kill a bunch of people. You're like, oh, I don't quite understand how you got away with it because you suck. Again, not a big deal. It doesn't bother me, but it ah, it so does many. it does bother me that his singing voice isn't his voice because it's a totally different voice. Shut your fucking face! That's oh god. Like, here's the thing: Disney movies, the best songs 
for karaoke are the are the <laughs> villains are the villain songs and this villain doesn't get a song it's so fucking stupid the missed opportunities that this movie has and doesn't take advantage of are ridiculous yeah i think it's just because he's mostly singing to himself so you don't want an entire musical production there's obviously other ways that this could have been done i think Maybe Jerome thought that just by giving him a completely different musical styling, so doing it more in that kind of rock opera kind of way, as opposed to everybody else's more traditionally musical kind of fashion, was enough to distinguish the tone. But eh. yeah, eh. I will say that Roger's death with the buzzsaw is pretty good. Yeah. Because it is gory as fuck. Like, the kills are good in this movie. When you see them, Mm -hmm. it's disappointing that of the ones that we... Like, there isn't a huge body count, so it's disappointing that we don't really get to see all of them. Most of them are pretty good. It does bother me whenever I see reviews of, like, a horror comedy. Like, well, it wasn't very scary. I'm like, what? Here's the thing. You give me a horror comedy... You either lean towards scary or you lean towards comedy. If one of them is successful, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking, like, Drag Me to Hell, a horror comedy. I, I actually think the movie is very successful in both the horror and the comedy. Good job. See, but I would argue that the reason that that movie works is because so much of the quote-unquote horror is, like, gross out. Right. Whereas this film doesn't have that, right? Like, it's not gross at any point. Yeah, probably so. Maybe, maybe the fellatio light bulb. But then, like, okay, like, even, like, Sorority Row, which is a horror comedy, it's not scary in the slightest, but it's funny, and that, that makes it work. This movie doesn't succeed at any of that. It's not scary, it's not funny. Can you tell me a single name of one of these songs? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I can barely remember the plot of this movie, and I watched it two days ago. That's... So, no, I can't tell you any of the song names. And that's what's upsetting to me. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to come up with catchy songs. Fuck, I mean, it's probably even worse than a two out of five for me at this point, because I'm just, like, talking about it. Like, <laughs> it's not scary, it's not funny, and the songs aren't good. And that sucks. That really sucks. I want a better movie. Once again... Repo, the genetic opera. I was trying to think of horror musicals. Now, you know, we've got Rocky Horror. Yeah. You've got Repo. Repo's not good. No. But it's better than this. Well, and you can tell that the people in that movie, like, cared. And, like, Darren Lambousman was into what he was doing. There's a lot of care done. It looks cheap as shit. But it's kind of, it's an enjoyable watch for as shitty Mm -hmm. as it is. I've never seen Phantom of the Paradise. Have you? I've not. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, sorry, I'm looking at the list. It was brought uh, up in a lot of reviews for this. Um, listeners, yeah. if you're rolling your eyes at us right now, trust me, we will cover Phantom of the Paradise. It is on our list. And if you stick is around... It? Oh, yes, it is, because uh, it might be celebrating a certain um, five or zero anniversary uh, before the end of the year. Oh, did it come out this year? Celebrating a zero anniversary? <laughs> Well, no, I mean it ended in a zero or a five. <laughs> it's, it's like when you wow, read... it's been out for 50 years? It's like when you read an article where it's like, this is the movie's 23rd anniversary. And it's like, what the fuck are you writing about this? <laughs> you save it for a zero or a five. It's 25 or 30. Like, you, that's when you do it. I want to say it's the 45th anniversary of Phantom of the Paradise, but I could be wrong. But, listeners, if you stick around through the end of the year, you may hear an episode on it. And by may, I mean you will. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. I didn't agree to this. <laughs> it's on our spreadsheet. 
All right, I agree to it then. Uh, okay, other other horror musicals, and I'm using the term lightly because they've got fucking Phantom of the Opera on here, and I'm like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is not a horror musical. It that is. is a musical. Wait, 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 no, 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 fuck you. Why is that we're not talking a horror movies. musical? It, it is a bad aim. Yeah, I'm fully fucking aware of what we're talking about. The Phantom of the Opera is a movie that is a musical about a murderous phantom. Hmm. I would say it's closer to like a like a love affair musical. Well, okay, but it's, it's a love triangle with a guy in a mask. It's based on a horror novel. Yeah, so the novel is horror. So I will confess, um, I saw that movie in theaters, and I, I actually really do enjoy that movie. However, um, I re so um, I rewatched like YouTube clips of some of the songs, and when I was doing it, I was like, this movie is not directed well. At no. all. Oh god, no, it's terrible. Joel Schumacher, even the even the title track, Fan of the Opera, is very poorly edited and poorly shot. And they fucking cut a verse out, which fuck you, Joel Schumacher. But this <laughs> is well, <laughs> really upset. Joel Schumacher is not a friend to the gays, so obviously he's gonna do badly by us on a on a musical. But I do think Emmy Rossum's really good in it. Uh, I think that yeah, she's the best part. Gerard Butler is a terrible phantom. Uh, He's actually, fucking awful. My big issue with that movie is that in, if you listen to the Broadway soundtrack, and um, we probably have lost a bunch of our listeners by now, but <laughs> the uh, is it Michael Crawford? Is that is that who originated the role of the phantom? I think it's Michael Crawford. His songs sound very tortured. Like when he sings, it's like an anguished, like upset person. Gerard Butler, oh, okay. yeah, plays the phantom very angrily. And in the Broadway show, you empathize with the Phantom, whereas with Gerard Butler, you're like, wow, you're kind of a dick. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's Gerard Butler's kind of resting default status. Mm -hmm. He's not capable of a broad range of emotions. Yeah. So, okay, sorry. I, I digressed. My fault. Okay. I do have other horror musicals if you want to think of a list. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that's one that nails i mean arguably it's obviously it has horrific elements but i think a lot of people would classify it more in the comedy realm but it is but and if you're thinking of the original ending too which the blu-ray does include the original ending it's horrific that movie blends tone very well but i don't think it did very well on its original release whereas i think um it's it's definitely a cult film (sighs) oh sweeney todd yeah um which I really like, I've never seen the stage production, I've only seen the Tim Burton film, but I remember people mm-hmm. being very upset <laughs> because the trailer did not market that movie as a musical. <laughs> oh, God. And people well, went into fault. it. <laughs> that's so, no, I sat in Hairspray, like the 2007 Hairspray, and people next to me were like, this is a musical? And I'm like, you're fucking stupid. Go die. Well, if, if you saw the original John Waters movie, that's not a musical. The, the fucking trailer told, Whatever. Doesn't no, matter. I know. It's, yeah, people should know better. Uh, and I guess the most recent one that people would be very upset if we overlooked would be Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I really do like that movie. I've seen it three times. I saw it festival premiere, and then I saw it twice in theaters over Christmas break. Christmas break, like I'm in school. I'm sorry, over the holidays. <laughs> I liked it a little bit less each time I watched it. Yeah, but at least you can say that the musical numbers are catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, no, for sure. I feel like it's got a better balance on tone. But yeah, I, I was a little disappointed. It wasn't quite the slam dunk I was hoping for. My issue with the movie is that the dramatic beats don't work. Um, And 
probably a quarter of the jokes fall flat. Maybe yeah. more for based on your mileage. But I do think the girl that plays Anna is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I actually quite like the the lesbian friend as well. Oh, she has the best voice, like hands down. Uh, and the fact that she didn't get more things to say <laughs> was mm-hmm. quite upsetting to me. And you know she's Canadian, right? Yeah, sure. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I just had to bring it up because the movie that we're meant to be discussing is Canadian, and I feel the need to distance. Represent! So, no, I will not be. (laughs) So, back to Stage Fright. Right, okay. Sorry, the songs are not good in Stage Fright. Nothing in this movie is memorable in terms of the music. It's not catchy. It's not... Oh, and here's my biggest thing with movie musicals. There's no choreography. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. It's upsetting to me because it's not, like, it takes a lot of work to fucking court. Synchronized dancing is a staple of musicals, Mm -hmm. especially on stage. And to digress a tiny bit, like, the failing of the first Mamma Mia movie, besides the fact that it's a bad movie, is... Shit, we're about to lose so many listeners. (laughs) Well, no, I, I love it, but there's no dancing. There's no choreography in that movie. Whereas the sequel puts actual choreography in it which makes the sequel better is it because there's younger people in the sequel maybe when you cast a bunch of like 60 year old (laughs) actors you're not going to get a lot of less than wooden leg performances out of them yeah and this movie doesn't have that this movie has people just standing there and singing and got Mm -hmm. like makes me so mad (laughs) i'm so angry about this stupid movie and it makes me so upset So happy five years, Stage Fright. God bless you. May we get a better horror slasher musical at some point? I mean, what's a good one for you besides Little Shop of Horrors? No, I mean, I knew you were going to ask that, and I immediately was like, so I guess we're just going to wait for someone to come along and nail this, because clearly it's more difficult than we're giving any of these films credit for, because there is no slam dunk film. Mm -mm. There isn't. I mean, I think different films have their strengths and their fandoms, but I don't think... I mean, yeah, I would probably say Little Shop of Horrors is probably the best. I haven't seen it in a very long time, actually. Steve Martin as the dentist. No, I know, I know. Um, And I, I love Ellen Green, who plays Audrey. I really like her a lot. And Rick Moranis is Rick Moranis, but oh, oh, I do love Suddenly Seymour. I've totally karaoke that before, but oh, it's it's yes. really hard to find a good Audrey uh, to karaoke with you. <laughs> I saw it live, so I have a soft spot for it. So. Oh, I've done uh, Feed Me at karaoke, by the way, uh, and it's really fun. But then you got to find a Seymour because I'm the plant because I'm a bass. <sighs> there's just there's so many. I think unintentional sexual connotations coming out in so many of the things that you're saying tonight. And I just, I can't keep up with it. <laughs> but please tell me more about this Bukaki experience that you had, because I feel like people really want. I realize I probably didn't need to explain Bukaki to a lot of our listeners, but in case some of them are under the age of 18, which if you are, you shouldn't be listening to this because this is an explicit podcast. Um, oh, no, like, totally tell your parents to fuck off and listen to it. We're giving you a sexual education. You need this. I'm saying this in case they're listening to it, like, in front of their parents in the car or something. Oh, right. Okay, so stick around, and Trace and I will tell you how to clear your browsing history. Because <laughs> that's really important. You sound like a pedophile right now. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't want to rag on this movie anymore. So, I mean, like, th- th- that that is stage fright. Mm-hmm. I am a very positive person. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I don't. Mm, sorry. Yes. I, I don't. En- no. I don't enjoy disliking movies. I don't want to shit on someone's art. I don't want to dis. Who wants to go into a movie and say, "Oh, I don't want to like this. I wanted oh, to like yeah, this movie." No. It's so upsetting to me. I don't like this movie. I don't like this movie. It's not good. And the fact that I own this, I'm literally holding the Blu-ray in my hands right now, staring at fucking Camilla's stupid face. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And just like, why? Why did I buy this movie? I don't know, but I feel like you should blame Donato for it, to be honest. Oh, trust me. Whenever we uh, promote this episode, I'm going to like... Just just, tag him in it. I'm going to screenshot their quotes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, uh, in my opinion, this film is not great. Mm-hmm. It does have some good kills. Some, particularly the early stuff, is actually kind of enjoyable. Yeah. And for me, it really begins to fall flat once Camilla takes the lead and we have to go th- into the rehearsals and the killing essentially disappears completely. I would agree. So, it's It starts strong, and I think part of the reason that the film suffers as a result is because you think that there's promise in it, and you think you're in for a good time, and then it just dwindles a lot of that goodwill away. Yeah. I, I think the film overestimates how much we care about Camilla. I mean, that, 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 that's really the major fault of this movie, and the fact that we are stuck. That's the thing. When we're watching her discover the bodies, and then it's intercut with the David and Liz stuff... Mm-hmm. When it cuts away to Camilla, and I'm like, wait, I want to see what David and Liz are doing when they are tertiary douchebag characters. <laughs> That's a problem, movie. Yeah. Please try to make your lead protagonist dynamic and interesting. Make us care about them. I'll give you that. When she comes out on stage and she's a fucking mess, it's pretty cool. It's a good final image. And then, of course, uh, the movie just has to hammer it home that just let's leave no stone unturned with that, you know... I know what you did last summer. Fine, a little jump scare. I thought the same thing. I was like, it's I know what you did last summer. This movie came out <laughs> 17 years after I know what you did last summer. And they were giving us a mirror, like, scare. Mm-hmm. And for what? <laughs> Nothing. I don't know about you, but that didn't scare the fuck out of me. <laughs> it did not. And then she wakes up, and then it just and fades to black. Like, it, fade to black. What? What? Also, she doesn't seem upset over anything, despite the fact that the whole movie she's super depressed over her mom's death. Yet, her brother's death, slash mm-hmm. him being a murderer and all that shit, didn't seem to face her, and now she's famous, and she's great. Uh, well, she's really heavily medicated by now. You don't know that? You don't see pills on her vanity? No, she's, uh, she's like, on lithium, she's on coke, uh... Those are two very different types of drugs. If if you were doing lithium and coke, I feel like you'd be just normal. Because, oh, I guess that makes sense. It's, it's uppers and downers, and she's tweaking, man, like, oh, yeah. Okay. There's an unrated cut of this where she's just, like, fucking black out, messed up at the end. For sure. It's on your Blu-ray. Donato said so. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, And there's a bunch of extra features on this Blu-ray, including a commentary with the writer, director, co-composer, Jerome Sable, and co-composer, Eli Battalion. Maybe I'll watch that if I want to hear them jerk off to themselves. I don't know. Ooh, homework for listeners. Seek that commentary out and tell us what we missed. Or, you know, don't. Luckily, I don't... Whatever. Jerome Sable, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry. I just... I really hated your movie. Or reach out to us and tell us if it is the version that you always intended. 
Because I kind of feel like this isn't, I don't know, this this doesn't quite feel like everything that it could have been. And I wonder if it was like a money thing or a three editors thing or I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe this is like the dream project he always wanted to make. So yeah, that is a, that is stage fright. It sure is. Now for your game. I was going to say, I like you have a game for me, don't you? It's not even a game. This is a challenge. And... It's going to be tough for you. Fuck. No, I'm kidding. I'll try to soften the blow. Originally, it was going to be, what would you do to fix this movie? But instead, it's going to be, what is one thing that you would do to fix this movie? But I feel like you're going to cop out and take the easy way. So I'm going to remove it from the table. You cannot say, make Camilla more interesting. Fuck! It's too obvious. I know. I was going to say, recast Camilla. Oh, wait. Oh, fuck. No, I'm sorry. Not recast. I'm sorry. Um, Miss McDonald, you're great. Your role is terrible. All right. So I cannot... I cannot alter Camilla in any shape, way, or form. No. I would, A, give the villain a song. Okay. Um, And also just, I would add choreography. And, okay. like, literally any choreography. And I would make the songs more melodic and catchy. That's the thing. You give me good music or good comedy... Ideally, both, obviously, but <laughs> clearly this movie can't be bothered. Aim for one. If, if I'm choosing which one I would rather have, I would rather have a good soundtrack that I can keep with me in my car. So you want a catchy soundtrack? I would rather have a catchy soundtrack with some good musical numbers and like dance dance numbers. Okay. I can handle bad comedy if you give me that. Mm-hmm. Because for me, like I'm not going to watch this movie all the time, but I, if I have this soundtrack on my phone, I'm going to listen to it in my car. But I'm obviously not now. No. Because it's shit. Certainly not. So that, that that's my fix for it. Okay. I'll accept it. What's yours? Obviously, the pacing is a huge deal. So I would want more kills earlier so as to not have 45-minute gaps between first murder and second murder. But uh, I think the other... The big issue for me is that by the time we get to the killer reveal, the movie feels like it has really worn out its welcome, and I don't care to then have Roger suddenly turn into a murderer. So I would have, I haven't thought out all the details, but I would have liked to have seen the killer unmasked and do his final big thing on stage. Because I think everything about this movie is about the performativity and yeah. the connection between, you know, the the roles in the musical as well as, you know, the, the kills and that kind of stuff. So I think ending it on the stage is the appropriate amount of meta that you could have some fun, you know, a la Scream 2, essentially. You know, you're, you're totally right, honestly. Like, the ending of the movie with, oh, like, oh, like, it's all part of the play, blah, blah, blah. Super obvious. But yeah, I think having the killer do a, a number on and, like, do something on the stage at the end, I think <laughs> that would have been really cool. I think you're right. Because then she could have killed him with the bandsaw and then everybody thinking, oh, wow, this is just the stunning climax to this film. That, I think, would have been the appropriate amount of horror comedy that maybe would have rescued or fixed some of those issues. Mm. Not entirely, but at least it would have played better. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of issues. Well, I own this movie forever now, so... I guess in oh, five years, I'll could... watch it again and see if I like it more. <laughs> <laughs> we'll revisit it in five years. <laughs> yeah. 2024, come back. It's going to be super exciting. 
10 year anniversary for stage fright jesus christ uh okay so um trace where can people find you on these here interwebs people can find me on twitter at at trace thurman and where can people find you joe i can be found at b stole my remote that's b the letter and of course if you're tweeting about us please be sure to use the hashtag horrorqueers in your tweets so we can find you you can also email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com but if you want more of us please visit our patreon page at patreon.com backslash horrorqueers where you can listen to episodes on things like last house on the left and jordan peels us we'll have an episode on that and of course if you are a patron and you're listening to this episode we'd like to thank you thank thank you for thinking that we're worth paying money for and we hope you enjoyed our all of our exclusive content and of course we'd like to thank bloody disgusting for sponsoring us and allowing us to promote our podcast so keep reading bloody as well as our monthly horror queers articles joe mm-hmm. what are we covering next week so we are moving on to significantly greener pastures and we're going to stay with the sibling drama so we're going to be checking out mike flanagan's oculus which is also celebrating its fifth year anniversary i'm actually very excited about this um listeners i know you may be wary because there's no queer content but as we joe and i have mentioned in our past um episodes siblings we're gonna do whatever the fuck we want so you fuck off (laughs) yeah that too um, but okay. siblings, siblings can be very helpful when you're coming out. And um, that's something we want to discuss is like uh, how siblings can trust each other and, you know, mm-hmm. be there for each other. Also, my clan is great. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with all of those statements. So on that note, before we leave you, I would just like to say cross out stage fright and cross out horror queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.